This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. The Big Ed Idea Podcast is back. Hello, my friends and family out there in uh, Radio Land or wherever you're listening. Hey, this is Ryan Scott, and we are coming at you for episode 2.5. And I've got to tell you, um, I'm going to take a moment to um, thank, thank, thank this young lady that kind of reached out to me last second and is like, yeah, I would love to be on your, your podcast um, because, you know, this is not a multi-million dollar operation. This is a guy that started a podcast when I turned 40. Um, and I don't know how this happened, but I forgot to schedule a guest for this week. And so I reached out to the gods of Twitter and lo and behold, I got um, a really, actually a really big hitter in the world of education. So I want to introduce to you my new friend, Michelle. Uh, her name is Michelle Rispo Hill, and she is a mom, first and foremost, a wife. She is past New Jersey Teacher of the Year, and she is currently, she currently serves as Coordinator of Admissions and Strategic Marketing and Equity Specialist at Burlington County Institute of Technology in New Jersey. And if, you know, in case she didn't do enough stuff, she is also the co-author of Fired Up Teachers, Teachership. So uh, without further ado, Miss Michelle, thank you for being on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation, although I don't know that um, <laughs> that this conversation is a pleasant one to have, but I'm excited to be here and amp up the voice, the voices out there to uh, be proactive and see what we can do about the impending teacher shortage. I should not say impending, it's here. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so like, you know, um, it, this is definitely a conversation that needs to be had. Um, I have definitely been in rooms where this is a conversation that doesn't want to be had, um, but it is absolutely one that needs to be had. So, um, you know, we will go down that hole in just a second, but, you know, I always like to um, model for the listeners out there something that I believe very, very strongly in that is the power of connections. So we always want to lay down, you know, like a I don't know, like icing on a cake. We want to lay down a foundation of connections um, and then we'll jump into the content. So um, is that okay with you, Michelle? Are you all right if you get to know the Ryan Scott? Absolutely. All right. So um, first thing I always like to do on this podcast is kind of just let the listeners know what's going in our lives. Uh, kind of like I alluded to, um, I don't make any money off of this podcast. Actually, I think I've made $35 in two years. So, you know, 
Um, but I'm just a regular guy. You're just a regular lady that happens to know a little bit about education. Um, but what is going on in your household this weekend? Well, this weekend, it was kind of exciting. We got to go to uh, see two of our, our little guys, our grandchildren, wrestle. Oh, and yeah. one six, yeah, one's six and one's four. And to just watch that experience of the, you know, not their first time on the mat, but the first time this season, uh, to watch the little four-year-old try to maneuver all of this was really pretty exciting. I, I'm pretty sure that all of the kids, the small children were more excited about the snacks and the soda that they were getting to enjoy that they normally don't, but it was, it was a great experience. So that was awesome. <laughs> and then today the weather was pretty nice. So my husband and I were able to take in a three mile walk. And so that was a nice bonus. Absolutely. How about you? Well, first thing I'm going to, you, so you're talking about wrestling um, in the district that I used to uh, be a principal that district's high school had won the state wrestling championship for the last nine years. Um, pretty much a huge dynasty about of, of wrestling here in Kentucky. It's Union County High School. Um, they have guys that have went all over the United States to wrestle. Um, but what's going on at my house? Well, COVID is going on at my house. Um, my, yeah, my four-year-old uh, tested positive on Wednesday of last week. So she's been quarantined since Wednesday. Um, thing is, she's got two sisters as well. And so um, I stayed home with them Thursday and Friday. Um, luckily, we had a sn snow days for those days anyway. Um, but my wife is a hospital administrator. And so her and I are having to alternate now um, because they're going to be out. And I'll tell you, it feels eerily similar to the lockdowns, which I don't know, you know, I haven't talked to anybody that liked that. So I'll tell you, it, it, it's eerily similar um, and I cannot wait to get out of the house. Um, so that's what's going on at my house. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, thank goodness that this variation that we're dealing with seems to be less virile. Yes. So people are managing it a little bit better and we wish uh, speedy recovery and hope that it doesn't pass through the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, <clears throat> my wife and I have all been vaxxed. We've all been boosted. So the girls actually just got their second dose. The two middles got their second dose yesterday. Um, and my oldest middle started developing symptoms last night, but we think it, it might just be a side effect of the um, second shot, but who knows? We'll see. We're going to get them tested tomorrow just to make sure, but you know, we don't mess around with it. No, you can't. Nope. We can't. Okay. So, um, now that I know what's going on at your house, you know, what's going on at mine. Um, I've got two getting to know you questions that are completely out of the realm of education. Okay. I'm so ready. I want to, I want to know who Michelle is. All right. So my first question, something that is on this year's bucket list. Hmm. Wow. Um, I've got a lot on the bucket list in terms of travel. And, and we just hope that the COVID gods will start to cooperate. Please, so that we please. Can do that. <laughs> yes. that is definitely something that we are looking forward to. Um, 
What's on the bucket list? I think it's going to be doing more hiking with my husband. Last year, we went to Maine and did about 14 days of traveling around Maine, which is a beautiful state. Beautiful, and yeah. we did national parks. And this year, we think we're going to go out west and do um, upstate Washington or, um, you know, just in the in on the west coast so i think it's going to be a little bit more of hiking and then the other thing that's on my bucket list is to start to really get into some strength training that's something that i've been teetering around with and i just recently had some hand surgery so i'm, I'm recuperating from that and then once that's when once i get clearance with that i think that that's what i'm going to dive into absolutely that's great that's great things um so no, I have some connections with that. Um, I almost went to college in Olympia, Washington. Um, at the time I was studying, I wanted to study sustainable architecture and native American studies. Um, back in my, what I affectionately call my wandering days. Um, but then also my, my bucket list this year is actually connected with hiking. Um, I just got a new pack. And so um, I've done multiple three-day hikes. I want to do a four-day hike um, with my dog and try to get about 40 to 50 miles done. Um, so that's on my bucket list. Nice. Yeah. Maybe, Next question. Maybe we'll find one. <laughs> there you go. Right now I am uh, section hiking the River to River Trail in Southern Illinois. It runs from the Ohio River to the Mississippi River. It's 160 miles, so I've been doing 20 to 30 mile sections at a time, trying to get that done. Um, ultimate goal is when I retire to do the Appalachian Trail. Um, yeah. All right. That, that's gonna be, that that's going to be a big bucket list. That's big be, bucket list. Uh, but Me I I kind of give on that one. It's um when you set that goal. I've done a little research on that, and and that sounds like just an incredible journey and what a, an accomplishment that will oh, be. So man, absolutely. On that. Absolutely. All um, right. If you had unlimited money to start your own business, what would it be? Wow. This is throwing me for a loop. <laughs> Anything that you could start a business in, it could be related to your ed, ed passions it might be related to another passion that you have. What, what would you do? I don't know. I, I really, maybe a travel company, a company that is yeah, geared yeah. towards educators who want to travel. I think, I think that would be idea. awesome. Two things that I love and being able to connect with other educators, but then show them the world. I think that'd be pretty awesome. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Maybe like make it a, an exchange program. Yeah. Ooh, My friend cool. and I were thinking about it. Like there are student travel, at, you yep. know, companies out there, but often we've done that. We've, we've hosted students going to other countries and that's a lot of work. And by the way, everyone thinks you get a free trip, but it is a working trip when you do it. I love doing it because I love the aha moments of watching kids for the first time in a foreign country. I think it's pretty, pretty awesome. And knowing that you're changing the uh, trajectory of their life and the perception. Mm -hmm. So I think that's 
people. But what I have found is that there are a lot of adults who want to travel, but they're concerned about not speaking the language or okay. using public um, transport systems. So my friend and I actually thought about why don't we set up a travel company that's just geared for just adults, mostly educators who want to go to cool places and um, offer them up. that. So yeah, I think that would be, I think that might be where I might use my money. I will be your first customer. <laughs> yeah, I love to travel. Okay. So yes. I get to ask you, you know. two questions, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So oh, I, I wrote down a bunch of them, but I'm yeah. going to ask this one. Um, what life lessons have you had to learn the hard way? <laughs> so um, this could take another hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, I have learned a lot of stuff through a lot of mistakes through my years. Um, life lessons. Okay. So um, I think the one that I've, learn the hardest is that you're you're you only stop moving forward if you just stop what i mean by that is um regardless of if you're failing or you make mistakes it doesn't mean that your trajectory or your path is over it just means you might need to find a different way around it or over it um when i I've talked about this a lot. Found out at 22, I was going to be a dad very, very unexpectedly. Um, completely changed my life. Um, when I found out Madison was coming, my hair was down to my shoulders. Um, I shaved my head as an outward sign that I was changing. Um, quickly, quickly discovered that life was not all about me. Um, so then I re-enrolled in college and, and actually finished this time. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's the biggest one that I have learned. It's a great lesson. Well, it was a hard this lesson. Is another, this is another deep question um, because I've spent a lot of time in the past couple of years. I don't want to say chasing it, chasing yeah. it, but I've spent a lot of time getting better at coming to a place of peace. So what makes you feel at peace? What makes me feel at peace? Well, that's kind of a that's kind of a loaded question because I don't sit still very well. Um, my mind really never stops. Um, I'm always kind of I like to stay busy. Um, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning, out the door by four thirty, working out by five in the morning every Monday through Friday. Um, but what finds me what really gives me peace? <sighs> I'll tell you, there's, there's, quite, there's nothing quite like seven o'clock at night. And, and I know like this is weird. Seven o'clock at night after I've cooked dinner, after the dishes are done, and all of us are sitting around watching TV, relaxing, and one of the kids is sitting in my lap. That is right there. That is peace. That's like, yeah. that's when I can shut it off for a little bit. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> and so, yeah, like if anybody out there is listening, if you have any secrets to shutting it off, please 
let me know at Ryan C. Scott, 1981 on Twitter, because I do not know. Well, I, I uh, can empathize with you about the brain never shutting off. And, and sometimes what I have found more recently is to be able to listen to kind of like spa sounds and a very, very low level yeah. in my bedroom so that my brain starts to just calm itself down. But what has really brought me peace, and as I said, I, 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 I have been chasing it for a while, is just I and it may be because of my age it may be because of the place I am in my career um I have just accepted that I'm enough the way I am sure and there's always room for growth always room for improvement I don't mean to sound arrogant in any form or fashion but what has brought me peace is to understand that because I am enough and I really walk the earth with the idea to do no harm, to be a kind human being, accepting, loving of people, and to want to leave the world a little bit better as a result of my presence. Amen. Uh, That I've just come to peace with that. Some people are going to like me. Some people are not going to like me. Some people are going to, you know, dislike you based upon the, the tweets you put out. But my peace comes from that I recognize that I'm really doing the very best I can to make the world a better place a little at a time. And that's how I walk on, on this earth. So I find myself to be at a whole lot more peace um, in general, even though it's crazy and the things still keep going on in my head. Um, I'm just much more peaceful about what it is that people think about me, say about me, you know, so that's what, that's what gives me peace. So can I ask you, do you think um, you would be at that same realization if the pandemic hadn't hit? Hmm. I was, I was chasing it before the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think what the pandemic has taught me, and it's my word this year, is being adaptable and flexible, um, is that there is nothing promised there's nothing promised. Oh, you might yeah. have this yeah. beautiful wedding planned and half the people get taken out in COVID, which happened to my nephew recently. Oh. Um, so he had to cancel the reception. There is no promises right now and that you have to learn to pivot really quickly. Um, and, and, I've ju- and I'm a planner. I'm a person who's always looking down the road, like what comes next? And I have really just gotten to a point where I just think to myself when when it comes and we have to change and we have to shift and we have to pivot we're going to make the best of it and and I do think that the pandemic has um has supported me being at peace more than ever before yeah yeah I I asked that selfishly because I think the pandemic has changed me tremendously from the person that I was um you know having just came off leaving a principalship that I loved, 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 but leaving it um, because I felt like it was the right time to leave. Knowing the state of mind I was in then versus the state of the mind I'm in now. um, No, I very, very seriously empathize with you um, about that, that, that this is me. This is Ryan Scott. These are my ideas to change the world. Um, You can either jump on the ship with me or not. And I'm okay with that. Amen. Yeah. And I don't know that my young self would have ever been okay with it. 
because we're always, I think when we're younger, we're searching for that affirmation. Oh, and we want everybody to like everybody to like our ideas. But I've learned a lot on this leadership journey through education that no matter what you do, there are always going to be a faction of people that don't like what you're doing. Sure. And there's going to be naysayers. So I've learned to uh, to really be okay if I've made a good decision based upon good data, uh, with good, you know, uh, with a pure heart. That it's not selfish. It's not arrogant. Um, what's best for the kids? What's best for the staff? Then I'm okay with some people sure. not liking it. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No, you're exactly right. So let's let's jump into this big ball of awesomeness that I feel is getting ready to roll down this hill and hit us, um, because we already touched about it. Actually, we've talked we've we've touched about it quite a bit, um, but let's bring it back up in case anybody out there um, has forgotten. What do you think right now is the problem in education that you would like to address? So for me, I'm sounding the alarms uh, really, really loudly about the teacher shortage. Now, it's interesting because I was on Twitter and I love and I won't mention this guy's name, but he is an outstanding educator and he's an advocate for teachers. And he said, we don't have a teacher shortage. We have teacher attrition. And I two thirds agree with him on that, because Mm -hmm. most of the reason we do have a shortage is because teachers are leaving the field. They're leaving the field because they're retiring, early retirement, or they're leaving the field uh, within the first five years of becoming a teacher. Um, Staggering statistic, 50% of teachers coming in in the first five years leave. And and that's, I I saw recently today that 50% in Texas leave in the first year after the first year. So that is disheartening. But there is, and as I said, I agree with him two thirds of the way. The other third is, is that there are not enough qualified um, university students coming out. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So it is mostly attrition, but there is the fact that we don't have a pipeline of people coming in. So what I'm talking about and why I'm talking about it is because this very thing is going to, um, to linger in terms of quality of education for our children, or in my case, my grandchildren. Um, And we can't be selfish about it. So you might have your kids through and you might be saying to yourself, I listen, I don't have any kids going to school, but as a society, right, they're all our children. And if we don't have quality educators in front of them, helping them facilitating learning, then what we have is a, uh, a group of students who leave the co- who leave high school with um, skills that are very lacking in terms of employability, in terms of soft skills, uh, in how to deal with one another, um, civics, you know, just uh, citizenship, those kinds of things. So, I mean, it, it really is a crisis, and I would say it was looming. It's been looming for about ten years. It's here. It's yeah. here big time. So we need to do something about it. Yeah. So when you reached out to me on this topic, it really got me going because it's it's very near and dear to me. And that's because within my first four years, I tried to leave teaching twice. Um, first time I applied to be a city police officer. Um, and then I got full custody of my oldest daughter. So I took it as a sign that I was not supposed to leave. 
Um, second time I applied to the state police force was going through all that. And then my wife um, got pregnant and said, no way in heck could I uh, continue down that path. So I, I get it. And I remember what my reasons were. And, you know, and I would I would dare say, of course, this was almost 10 years ago. So I would say there's a little different reasons, but still similar uh, to a lot of the reasons that people are leaving these these days as well. Yep, there, there's plenty of reasons why they are leaving. And um, what I hear the most is you, everyone thinks that the reason that all we need to do is jack up the salaries. We'll just jack up the salaries and everybody will come running. Right. And that's like number like 16 on the list yep. of most of the, uh, the lists that are out there in terms of why people are leaving. The biggest thing that I see, there's a, there, obviously compensation is a big deal. When I first started teaching, we had our benefits provided for us. Sure. We had a pension and it was a very stable job. Uh, today, at least in New Jersey, we pay a good portion of our uh, of our benefits um, when it was enacted for us to pay into benefits and it was a sliding scale and it phased in uh, after three years, I was paying $8,000 a year in benefits. Well, for me, who had been paying nothing, yeah. that was an $8,000 pay cut. That's right. And because I was at the top of the scale, I wasn't seeing any more than a couple hundred dollars a year in a raise. So Which was I was actually, by inflation. Yeah. And I was, and I was actually losing money. Yeah. Um, to, to stay there. So that was, that is definitely a factor, but the other things that are causing these young kids. And by the way, I have two daughters that are in their twenties, one's in her year five and one's in year two as an educator. Oh, okay. And Good deal. Yep. And so I hear firsthand what the challenges are is, um, is just the workload. The workload is incredible. And, um, again, years ago, we didn't have social media. So things that happens outside of school were not the problem of the school. Now, when there's issues on social media of students, they're followed up on school. So yeah, teachers, administrators are never truly off. They're accessible by email. They're accessible by phone. Um, parents can stalk them. They can find them. So it is really a, a, a job that we don't get to turn off as easily. And so I think the workload has just grown exponentially with teacher accountability, state testing, those things have all added to it. Um, the other thing is, is that, you know, we just, and this is no fault to the administrators, but the culture of the schools is, is just more run like a business in a lot of cases. And so there's not that time for really the social emotional piece for teachers as well as students. It's all about a product and service. And, and so there's a mindset surrounding that. And people just don't feel like that that's why they signed up to go into education. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a lot of reasons why they're leaving. And then, you know, they can find flexibility in other jobs. If they go into corporate, they could work remotely or they can um, have certain days where they don't have to go into the office or flex time with teachers. It, we have to take a full day. I don't know. Most districts are like this, but you have to take a full day. If you're taking a day, you can't take a half sick day. You have to take a full day. So every time you want to go to the doctor's appointments or anything like that, you get it burn a whole day. 
And then when we are out, we have to provide sub plans and it's more work to be out than it is actually to be in school. So I think there's a lot of reasons why teachers are looking at this. Um, and, and, and I make it sound that those things are negative, but the joy of teaching is what keeps us all coming back. Amen. You know, yes, it is uh, very, very much. So, so there's a lot to be thankful for in this profession that I really believe is a calling, it's a vocation. And I think that we need to reignite that passion, which is why uh, a, a good friend of mine, colleague, and I wrote uh, Fired Up Teachership, how to stay passionate in long into your career and how to reignite the flame if it's burned out and how to navigate those first five years when the teachers, the young teachers are leaving at such a rapid pace. How do we keep them from getting that idea that, that this is not the profession for them? Yeah, I, I would definitely echo everything that you're saying. Um, I would also throw in there just the, um, how do I say it? <sighs> At one time, teachers were up there with priests in respect that the community had. Um, there, was, there was really no bigger thing in a community than to be able to pass on the knowledge from one generation to another generation. Um, I feel like teachers get scapegoated a lot. Um, we are kind of asked to solve all of society's ills. Um, that scares me a little bit. Um, but then, you know, but then also, I think compensation is a thing as well. But teachers are blamed for a lot of stuff too. Um, yeah, there's been a... Um... And I think it's been intentional. There's been an intentional uh, campaign against teachers for a while. And um, part of it yeah, might be, agree. yeah, there, it's just, it, there has been. And we have vilified teachers because they want to earn a competitive salary, um, which, you know, it, it is kind of silly to me because, you know, teachers go and do a tremendous amount of work at the university level. And so to not be compensated like every other college graduate seems a little silly. But really what I'm finding is, is that what has been lost is the connection between the home and the school where the parents, if you, if you interview parents, it's interesting, if you interview parents, they love their children's teachers. They just don't trust the school system. Sure. or they don't like teachers as a whole. Yeah. They just like the individual ones. And I don't know how many times I've heard this when I would run into parents and they say, oh, but Michelle, you, you're different than the other teachers. Not every teacher cares like you. And I've worked in schools for 30 plus years. I can tell you 95, 98% of the teachers are just like me. Absolutely. They're incredibly. So they don't recognize it because they've heard the negative narrative. And then they think that the ones that are really loving, kind, going over, you know, over and, and above for their children are the special ones. Yeah. But that's not true. Yeah. We have so many altruistic teachers who just want not just to teach, but help shape young minds and not indoctrinate them. Cause that's another thing. We're not indoctrinating them. We just want to help them become the very best 
versions of themselves. And so I think that there has been, um, we politicized COVID, we politicized education. Everything. <laughs> Everything. And, and we just need to step back and say, you know, um, it just isn't so. We really want what's best for children and we want to do what's best. So how do we do that? And, and my call to people is changing that negative narrative has to start in a community. And we have to get them to support their local schools and schools in general and teachers in general. Because if they don't, imagine this for just a minute, if they don't, we're going to have these big voids in classroom that wind up with anybody who has a certification. Gets which is the not job, good. Yeah. Which is not good. And then we have subpar teachers because there was no one else because we've scared away all of the other people. So we have people who aren't going to be the best choices. And that is going to affect us all as Americans. It's going to affect us all as parents and community members. And so that's why we need everybody to start believing that really what we want is the best for these kids. And how can we come together and partner up and support one another? Yeah, I, that's I, I, the I, question. Yeah, no, I think you, you said it greatly. Um, Horace Mann said it really well. You know, education is the great equalizer. Um, our, how do I say it? Our society, United States, a successful United States de demands a successful education system. Um, I, you just look back, you look back to the Kennedy years when, um, you know, the government set this challenge to get to the moon. Well, they threw all of the resources behind education and guess what? Education did great. And now, um, we have somehow disjointed our education system with the success of our country. And we, we think we can somehow be a, I'm not, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers out there, but again, I'm being Ryan Scott right now. We can't be a successful country if we just have a bunch of successful private schools and then public schools that that's not going to happen. Well, you don't have to look far. If you look at Chile, the country of Chile, they did that exa exact thing. They, um, you know, started, they funded all of these private schools and then they defunded the public schools. And if you go there now, if you can afford to, you don't send your children to the public schools, you send them to the private schools. And, and so then you wonder, you know, what about the students left in the public schools? So that's a that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one we could have. But one we can definitely have. Um, what I really want people to come away with, and I'm and I'm going to give you guys some also some helpful strategies if you're yeah, administrators. Please. I'm going to give you some helpful strategies that I think will help promote your school district so that you can attract people into the profession. So before we get into that, what I would say is, is that um, we really need to make a very concerted effort to reach out to the community at large and to our parent population, even at the high school level, when they tend to not be as connected. But they and still want to be. They want to be, and they're busy. And we have yeah. two working parents in most cases. And so people are very busy. So we have to make it digestible. We have to make it um, easy for them to access the information. But we do need them to be on board 
You know, yeah. one of the strategies that I used to have in my classroom is when I had a student in the very beginning of the year that I knew was going to be a nudge, um, <laughs> I would make a phone call home and I would introduce myself and say how much I'd love to have their child in my class. I'm so excited for this. It's going to be an awesome year. What can you tell me about your child? And the parents would tell me, well, you know, he has ADHD or she um, hates to speak in public. And right. so they those little things would help me. Right. And the next time I had a call, I would again compliment them on something wonderful about their child. I love when they walk through the door with a smile on their face. But you know, I've been noticing lately that they don't do X, Y, or Z. And then the parent would say to me, well, how can I help? And then by the third time, if I had a call because there was an issue, I already had such an ally with a parent that they would say to me, if you're calling me, Mrs. Hill, there's a problem and I'm going to handle it. So the strategy of, of connecting with the community at large early on and frequently and communicating good news is really, really an important one that we need to do. And we need to remind people that educators, by and large, did go into this for altruistic reasons. That's right. Obviously, you know, in, in many states, they're not being paid a whole heck of a lot. Um, and it's not all the fringe benefits because a lot of those have gone by the wayside. They went there to make a difference. And you might disagree with them as a parent on some things, but please don't demonize them because they might have a way that they're working around it differently than you are. Yeah. Um, but they, but they are at this. They have the same goal as you, as a parent, to bring out the best in their child and help them succeed. So I think um, you know, really, that's the important thing: is, is starting it as a at a grassroots level of let's get the community to, I don't want to say be on our side, let's get the community to buy with in us, with us. wonderful thing, witness and celebrate the wonder of educators who are doing fantastic things. I think, um, I think you are exactly right. If I could reflect on that. Um, no, I think you are exactly right. I think, um, I, you know, I, and, I, and I still believe in this idea of the community school. Uh, where every little neighborhood and every little community had its own school and the community and the neighborhood saw itself in this school. Um, because you're, you're really right. What you were talking about, it's really, really hard to dislike somebody when you really know them. And so I think what you're saying is if we, as our profession profession, let people know our hearts more let people know who we are, and then in turn, we know who they are, it's much harder for them to vilify us when they might hear something negative. Yeah, and that's what we talk about in Fired Up Teachership. There's building relationships with the student, which is paramount for every teacher, right? Um, building relationships with the families, and then building relationships with the school community. Those three things really set you apart in terms of either being successful or not successful in a school, yes. whether you have the community support, the parent support and the, and, and the student support makes your day a whole lot harder or a whole lot easier because there are things that you don't have to spend your time explaining doing when you have the support. So I think those are really great ones. Um, but as promised today, what I wanted to really do is because 
I don't think that uh, an enormous amount of parents are listening to this podcast <laughs> unless they happen to be teachers and administrators. But for the administrators out there and teachers who have uh, who have an active role in their in their school community, I would say that there are things we can do now, and then there are bigger things that we need to do down not down the road but now that will be fruitful down the road and the, immediately we have to start looking at incentive programs obviously competitive wages um you know the financial package that you give uh teachers i mean that that's that's what's being talked about now and it will certainly help attract some people in to considering that profession but we also need to look for opportunities for growth for the for you know the educators like how can they grow when they don't just get stuck somewhere um how do we recognize them in terms of in the building and out of the building how do we hold them up and and uh recognize them for all of their work so any kind of gratitude programs etc um those are all incentive programs are wonderful they're yeah. wonderful, but again, that's not what, what's going to change it. If I, if I could say to the administrators listening today, the one thing that is really, you can attract people with all of that, but what's going to keep them um, is right. your school-wide culture. Yep. It's your school-wide culture. What are class sizes like? Um, how much prep time do they get? How often are they called on to cover other people's classes and lose their prep time, which is a big deal right now? What resources are available to them? All of those things, and then just the culture of the school. Is it punitive? Are they always looking for a gotcha? Or are they celebrating you and assisting you? Every administrator right now should be looking at their school-wide culture as the number one thing that is going to keep retain quality teachers because if they have a school that is a, a culture that is a um one where people feel celebrated seen a sense of belonging supported chances are they're not going anywhere so that's the number one thing i think they have to look at but we also have to look at um some of the things like setting up a calendar for school re recruitment and retention yeah. so instead of waiting which right. is what's happening a lot now where there's a math position oh gosh we'll throw it up on apple track and then we'll put it out on twitter and then we'll put it out on facebook okay we got that one settled late, and that's it late. right uh we need a calendar what are our anticipated openings what do we need to do now to start prepping for those programs you know for those um announcements how can we do that um what are we doing all year to make sure that our missions are aligned with the vision you know what you know are we our actions are aligned with our mission i should say so all of those things i think are really important so having that school-wide recruitment calendar take out a calendar schedule it july you know one we're going to do x y and z August, September, October, and then um, that way you're not missing anything. You're not missing when to post, the, the best time to post positions that are available, uh, posting anticipated, anticipated opening, yep. that's a big one. And then you can also put on there social media, mm -hmm. how many times a month you want to post great things that are happening on your school so that every day can see it well, yeah. So that they can see it, you know, all of those things I think are important. 
um, we, we can be looking at a grow your own program, a pipeline program. And I just saw something on Twitter, no LinkedIn today, where I thought it was an ingenious idea where they take uh, seniors that have all their credits and having them act as basically teacher assistants in the classroom. And so what you're doing right there is you're giving them purpose. Future teachers. You're also, right. You're also exposing them to the joy of teaching. And so that's a, a grow your own program or you could do a future teacher of America, uh, hosting your student teachers from the universities. Um, those kinds of things I, I think are really important. Shadow days is one that I think is an incredible opportunity. A lot of teachers might want to know more about your school, but they haven't been in your building. And um, sometimes the first time that a new hire gets to walk into the building when it's full of students is on their first day. Absolutely. Of yeah, you're right. I've never and thought of it like that. It is. It is overwhelming. And they might come in and go, I think I've made a huge mistake. This is not the culture I want. Yeah. Or they might come in and they'd be pleasantly surprised. Let's hope. So invite them in for a shadow day. Invite them in so that they can come in and see what it's really like in your building. I have and never that heard that idea. But I, that, out of all the things that you said, I agree with all the other ones. But I absolutely love the shadow days one. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Because it's Let common sense. Right. Let them see. So you have an, uh, you have an applicant, they've gone through this rigorous pro, uh, process, which by the way, part of your, your hiring procedure should be to have a rigorous hiring practice so that you may make them teach so that you know, you're getting quality people. Right. Sure. Um, and they also know that they're being surrounded by quality people that they're getting into a district where they care enough to hire people that have that experience. But just imagine you hire them, you know, now um, we're, we're starting hiring season in the next couple of months. So in April, when you lock them down for a position, invite them in. Absolutely. No, that's invite great. Them to some of the celebrations that you have. Do you have a school play in the spring? You say to the new hirees, these are the events. We'd love to see you come out and, and be part of that community. And we'll and, even pay your ticket. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. what I'm saying. Give them the ticket. Man, Let them I have love the that. Ticket. So I think that's an awesome one. Saw another one that I thought was really, really exceptional, and I haven't seen it done. Um, and it really was designed for admissions committees, I guess, when you're talking about universities, et cetera. But uh, when you have somebody come in to interview, having a personalized video response to them. Like, you know, Ryan, thanks so much for coming in today. We were so happy to have the time to talk with you about da, 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 da. We hope you really, you know, got a flavor for our school. Let me know if you have any questions. Drop I'm it writing in that a, one down too. Yeah. So, and that, and then you can do that multiple times with a candidate. You've got them signed, but that doesn't mean they're showing up, Ryan. You know that because sometimes they're playing the field and they want to see if they yeah. can get a better offer. For sure. So that every time that you make contact with them in a personalized way, you're reminding them that they've made a commitment and it's the right thing to do. It's the huh. right place to be. Again, so, it, it's, it's, this is all around building connections. Right. Um, so that is really one. And then another thing that I, I, I probably really want to spend a, a minute on is having a strong mentorship program and a strong new teacher academy. 
So let me tell you that your mentorship program should not be consisted of whoever signed up or the oldest teachers in the building. <laughs> it should be, right? And, and it is in some cases. Yeah. It should be mentors who still have that passion, who have the goal to help shape a young teacher. Yeah. I have the funniest kind of antidotal story, but I was a world language teacher and I had a student teacher who then became my colleague. I had two other, three other student um, mentees in my building. And we were all out at lunch not too long ago. And I had forgotten that I was mentor to some of them. And they were like, you were my mentor, Michelle. And that's what I learned from you. And you were my mentor. And I was like, holy crap, I'm sitting here with all of the kids. I call them kids. But yeah, your kids. I have mentored and they're all fantastic teachers. Because, because of you. Well, we spent so much time. It wasn't just because of me, but I showed them what I knew. And I showed them how I made connections with kids. And I showed them how I had classroom leadership that didn't take any nonsense from the kids, but still loved them and held them accountable. And they have turned out to be phenomenal teachers. And it made my heart skip a little bit that I had something to do with that. So having mentors that really matter, and maybe we can even call it that mentors that matter. Hmm. Um, it's huge, huge. And then the new staff Academy, that's another one that can either be a really wonderful experience or it could be just another oh, thing. Oh yeah. Have. Oh yeah. I've so, been there. Yep. New t- new student new staff academy should be um, it should be relevant. It should be relevant to what they need and what they want. It should not be time consuming and it shouldn't be adding to their plate. It should be taking off of their plate. It should be um, expeditious as possible, right? And but support, support, support. And what can I help you with? And that's the one thing that I would say to my mentees when they would be overwhelmed. I'd say, what can I take off of your plate to make it easier? I've got lesson plans. I've got this. Do you want me to come in and sit in and observe and give you some helpful hints? And that's the kind of thing. So those, those two things I think in the school really, um, allude to the school climate, but those are big things that make the difference. Um, I would also say that scholarships, loan forgiveness, right now you have teachers racking up $100,000 of debt to come out and make, you know, in some cases, and I don't know what Kentucky is, but in some cases, $35,000, $40,000 a year. And so spot on. Right. It's going to take a really long time. So that has to be, if the school district can't, can't do that, there's got to be funds from the federal government to um, do loan forgiveness for teachers that put in five years, get them to that five-year point and, and wipe away their debt. And I know that some of our um, you know, lawmakers are working on that. Relocation, California is offering relocation and housing packages. Sign me because up. Their teachers, right, their teachers cannot afford to live where they teach. Yeah. So they're offering that and childcare expenses. That's another one. So those are all things that, that I would say that, um, that districts can do to help network people and to help them financially get into a position. Um, I would say another thing that really is powerful is when teachers are leaving you to have state conversations. 
Like, what would it, what would it take for you to stay here? And, you know, if, if you were definitely leaving, what were the reasons that you are leaving and yeah. how could we have done it different to make it so that you would have stayed? Um, having those exit conversations or just conversations before they leave. You know, how are you feeling now? Um, oh, you know, what's your pulse on, on teaching? Um, I've had some people that say to me, you know, that I don't think that I'm going to hang in there. And I'm like, oh, hang, hang on here. Let me help. <laughs> and that's why we wrote the book, uh, because we didn't want them to leave. So having those stay conversations, I think, are really powerful. And then the last thing that I think wants to retain your staff those first five years is for administrators. And, and I'm going to tell you that um, I, I guess the, not the pushback, but the reason why it doesn't happen is support, support and support of the new staff. Um, getting into the classrooms because I've seen it, you know, uh, we'll have a new, new colleague and the administrators, they're so busy doing their walkthroughs and their formal observations and their 911 crisis in the building and now pandemic and all of those things. And so they walk by and they go, Hey, Hey, Mrs. Hill, how are you? Good. Great. And Mrs. Hill is scared to say <laughs> I'm losing control of my classroom. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing here yeah, yeah. Um, because they don't want to look weak. Absolutely. So, so administrators need to build that trust and say, I'm here for you. It's not punitive. Tell me what you need and let me see if I can't help you. Let me see if I can get you the help you need and buddy them up with somebody. Um, I had an administrator who a new teacher reached out to and said, you know, I'm having a lot of issues with behavior and the administrator's response, not in my district, by the way, um, my, the administrator's response was, well, if I come into your classroom, I'm fixing your problem and you've lost control. Instead of saying, let me come into your classroom and observe and give you some helpful strategies. Sure. So now that teacher's never going back to that administrator, right? And so, um, and I get it. We're all stretched very thin, but these are the things uh, without the support, without the recognition, without the opportunities for growth, without the opportunities to innovate and to, to kind of think outside the box, teachers are leaving at an unprecedented rate. And, and, and we need to stop that as well. Yeah, so, this, you know, these are all some, some strategies that I think will be helpful for administrators for the here and now. And then the later ones are that as a whole, we need to lobby lawmakers for changes. We don't need as much standardized testing. We don't need evaluation systems that are punitive for teachers. Um, they've been shown not to work. The, the yeah. evaluation tools that we have over have been and shown over. Not over and over again. Yes. Trust teachers, let them teach, get in there, support them. You'll know which teachers are doing the right things and which ones are not. It's pretty plain to see. Yeah, so the, we need to start making changes at the federal and state level with lawmakers, but there are things we can do immediately in our own school districts. And I hope, I hope that some of those are helpful to the administrators that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with um, every single one I love the fact that you've you've brought up some ones that I that I'd never heard of before. Um, I love, like I said, I love the shadow days. It's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Also, the uh, personalized after interview video. I could totally see myself doing some cheesy, um, you know, 
using my phone, some cheesy video, and then sending it to them on via text message. But, but you're right. It's that connection piece. Um, because I still believe in my heart of hearts that everybody wants to change the world. And if we can give people a place where they feel like they can do that, they're going to stay. Um, I believe in a purpose-driven school where everybody believes they're for the purpose, everybody from the top down. Um, but a lot of what you're saying is just what I hear you saying is trust your people. Well, you know what they say. They, they say you didn't hire smart people to tell them what to do. Right. You hire smart people so they can tell you what to do. Absolutely. When you bring, bring in new people, they have something to add to the conversation. And a top-down model has its place. We need a top-down model to, to a certain extent to a, because to there's a hierarchy, all right? And, and the way things flow, and, and you do. Um, but at the same time, we need a top-down model possibly that has the trust and the pulse of the school and that people are not afraid to come to the upper administrators and say, hey, time out, we've got a problem here. Yep. Or I was thinking we could change this design or how about if we did X, Y, and Z? I think that the best culture and I was very fortunate to work for a, a principal who we worked incredibly well together because he said, you know, you think like an administrator, but you're still a teacher in the classroom. So I would, I would talk to him about what the teacher's needs were. Teachers don't need to hear that right now. What they need to hear is X, Y, and Z, or it's time. We need to do something fun for them, you know, like, yeah. and, and having that pulse on it as a teacher really helped him to always have his ear to the ground. So I think that that's the perfect kind of setup when you are able to, to make everyone feel that they're an integral part of the team and they're not afraid to share, whether it's good or bad news. Uh, they're not afraid to share. It builds trust in the community. So um, lot, there's a lot of work to do here, Ryan. There's definitely a lot of work. And I'm sounding this bell because we can't wait. We've waited too long already. And the next five years are going to be really icky for educators when we just have warm bodies in a classroom. That's, yeah. Yeah. Why, why even give a standardized test? <laughs> we're, already, yeah. we're already going to know what's going to happen. Yeah. So we've got a lot to a lot of work to do, but I'm hoping that elevating this conversation with all of the you know powers that be in terms of the federal government, state government, your your unions, uh, NEA, AFT um, associations, all of them coming together, your parents, your school communities, all of these people coming together saying, OK, what happens if we do nothing right now? Can we afford to do nothing right now? And if we can't, what are we going to do right. right now that is going to yield something in the next 12 months to five years so that we don't fall off the cliff? Very well said. Very well said. A uh, strong country depends on a strong education system. Um, I dream of a day where we get just as much funding as the military, 
<laughs> I remember in high school, I think I had a bumper sticker on my car that said something like, it'd be a great day when schools get all of the money they need and the army has to hold a bake sale for a bomber. <laughs> so, well, and, and again, we don't want anybody to come away feeling that we don't want to support our military. No, that's not what we're saying. Um, no, I, I, you know, some people will take that out of context, but what we're saying is, is that it's very interesting that, uh, I saw a video a couple of weeks ago where these teachers, and it was all fun and games, I guess, but they were diving for dollars and, um, and, you know, they were having fun at it, but at the same time, the money was going to be used for school supplies. Yeah. And I, and I just sat back and, and I thought, how sad is that, that we are causing teachers to demean themselves to roll around on the ground for what should be provided so that we have the school supplies and resources that we need. Um, and, and I think that that is your point with that. Um, but it's not just funding. It's also that we have to change that narrative yeah. about what education is and what teachers do and not just teachers, administrators. If we're having a teacher crisis and shortage right now, we are very quickly going to have an administrative shortage because that's how we grow the pipeline for administrators is through teachers. Yep. And so we're going to have that and, and, and imagine us having both at the same time, that we don't have enough teachers nor administrators to go into education. So there are workarounds to fill in these holes. We can do like New Jersey's thinking about allowing teachers to come out of retirement for two years. Yeah. and be able to collect their pension and teach. And I think that's wonderful. Um, it's, I, I do. I think that that's wonderful for the stopgap. For the so short term. So that we term. can put back in seasoned educators that know what they're doing. But I think in the long term, we have to look at uh, the negative narrative and, and recognize it. So I think that what we need to do is to start a nationwide campaign, media blitz campaign on the magnitude of what education does and what what passionate educators do on a daily basis so that people can start connecting with that and understand that that's what we want to do and and today on um twitter i shared a video that was a TikTok video which was just so it just spoke to me it was a teacher talking about do you want to know what I did today? And she went through the litany of things that she did besides teaching her classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that would be me. That's what I did. I greeted them in the morning. I gave lunch money to some kids. I stacked my, always had snacks in my room for the kids. I had lotion for kids that they came in and their hands were, were dry. I had baby wipes so that if they spilled something on them, I had lint rollers. <laughs> I bought prom tickets. You were um, a mama. I was a mama, right? Yep. And that is besides what I taught every day in school. So I think that narrative is really what, what we need to start changing. And, uh, and I'm hoping that by me getting on any possible podcast, any uh, and any forum that I can to sound this alarm is saying we can do better. You know, my Angelou says, when you know better, you do you better, do better. and right. we do know better. Yep. We have so to, now do it's better. time. So now it's it is time. time to do better. Um, all right. So I'm going to wind us down because you said it perfectly, perfectly. Like I wanted to stand up. I wanted to raise my hand and I want to say <laughs> preach. Because yes, 
you are exactly right. Um, you know, Michelle, I'll be honest. There, there was a time where my 18 year old, I remember telling her, do not be a teacher. I do not want you to be a teacher. Um, because you're right. There are a lot of, I'll say this. If you look at a seesaw, I have come to see that there are way more positives that outweigh the negatives in teaching. And I try to find them every day. And I call those my God winks. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want anybody out there listening or not listening to miss out on some of those feelings that I have had coming home from school because of something happened, you know, and and that would have never happened if I had became a marine biologist, like initially I wanted to be, Um, it would have never happened. So teaching is the best profession in the world. And dang it, we got to find a way to get more people in the pipeline. So um, I agree. There's, there's no better profession. And, um, and somebody said to me, you know, I follow you on Twitter and I reached out to you because I'm thinking she's still killing it at her age. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I don't know that I can ever turn this off in terms of caring about what happens in education because it is our future. These kids are our future. So we all have to care. Absolutely. All right. So Miss Michelle, if there is anybody out there, which I, I would be hard pressed to find anybody out there listening that would not want to connect with you. Um, so maybe they just want to talk to you about this thing, or maybe they have, they want to personally work with you. Uh, maybe they want you to talk to their school about some of these things. Uh, maybe they've got a podcast. They need you to talk. Um, where can you share your gospel of keeping teachers in the profession. So how can they get a hold of you? So the easiest way is my website. It's called firedupteachership.com. Nice and easy, just like the book, firedupteachership.com. There is a connect with me for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and email. And I'm happy to connect with anybody through there. Um, If there is anybody that wants to elevate this conversation, uh, you know, in terms of um, stakeholders, we're talking association, unions, Department of Education, federal. uh, Miguel Cordoba, if you're listening. Yes, Cordoba. There's so many people. Oh, so I'm happy to do that. And um, what, you know, everyone wants to know, what do you get out of this? Well, for me, I, I'm in the, you know, golden years of education. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter to me. Um, financially, I have no reason to do this. I I just see us falling off the cliff and I want to stop us before we go. So I'm happy to connect with anybody who wants to have this conversation. Bravo. Bravo. All right. So um, to my big ed idea listeners, it has been another um, wonderful episode of the big ed idea podcast. Um, Thank you once again for taking your time um, and spending it with Michelle and I, I I pray and I hope that you walk away uh, from this with a couple um, tools to put in your tool belt to help our fellow teachers. Um, you know, I, I love my profession and I want to see this profession, um, elevated to the, um, gods and goddesses that they really are. Um, and so thank you for listening. And until the next time, 
I will see you in the funny paper. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.